Yo, Chad, what if I told you there's a platform that could completely revolutionize your hiring strategy in a matter of hours? Yeah, I'd call bullshit. Well, it's not bullshit with AI for jobs powered by our friends at This Way Global. Okay, I'm listening. Uh, While everyone else is fishing in the same old talent pools, AI for Jobs can source over 160 million diverse candidate profiles. This Way Global has established unique partnerships with over 8,500 trusted diversity partners. So wait a minute. All of the hard on-the-ground work is already done. That's right, Cowboy. You can discover 300 qualified candidates per job rack instantly. Wow. It's like having a candidate sourcing magic wand. (laughs) Dude, if you had a magic wand, you would have Mexican pizzas all day. Mm. Uh, Stop distracting me, Sowash. AI for Jobs Advanced Matching Algorithm analyzes past applicants using trillions of historical matching events and over 1,600 data points. Now that is what AI should be doing, saving recruiters time on sourcing while they provide a white glove candidate experience. Let's wrap this shit up. I'm hungry. Listen up, kids. Revolutionize your hiring process today by jumping over to thiswayglobal.com and checking out AI for Jobs, where you can learn more about how to leverage AI for your recruiting instead of just writing poems and grocery lists. That is thiswayglobal.com. We out. I think the argument that everything Google is doing is is just to make the consumer experience better is pretty weak, and it doesn't make the. I mean, if they if they are, they've not done a very good job of it. Hide your kids, lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, rash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese podcast. Oh, yeah. The British are coming. The British are coming. What's up, everybody? This is Joel Cheeseman of the Chad and Cheese podcast, joined as always by the king of quinoa, Chad Sowash. And today we are joined, honored to have founder, CEO of AdZuna on the show, Doug Monroe. Doug, cheerio. Top of the morning to you, whatever you guys say over there. What's up? Hey, guys. It's great to be on the show. I'm a big fan. Yeah. And full disclosure, Adzuna is a sponsor of Beer Drop, which we love you. And our fans are big fans. <laughs> yeah. Your employees are big fans because I think they're getting beer too. But anyway, yeah. we appreciate uh, we appreciate it, even though our livers hate it, Doug. Uh, for those who don't know, what is Adzuna? Real quick, give us a Twitter description. Yeah, sure. So Adzuna is a a search engine for jobs. We bring together every job in the world in one place, um, or at least in 16 countries we operate in, uh, US, UK, and many others, and add great, useful tools with data and search to help job seekers zero in on their perfect role. And founded in 2011? 2011, so nine years ago, yeah. In the UK, uh, we expanded over the next couple of years into into Europe and Australia and Russia. And then we've been in uh, the US and North America for about three years and, and growing really quickly there. Excellent. Awesome. Excellent. Awesome. Well, tell us about tell us about 2020. Uh, it smacked us around, but we've seen some companies rallied and then into 2021, which seems to be hijacked by 2020, to be quite frank. How did uh, COVID start to impact the business? And what have you seen since then? Yeah, I, I mean, it was a crazy year for everyone. And, and I guess 
you know, first thoughts with with everyone who's been ill or, or suffered or lost their job in, in the pandemic. My brother's a, a, a doctor in an emergency room, so he's had a fun year um, in, wow. the, in the UK. And we've got the special extra mutant variant uh, over here as well. So, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, thanks, thanks for, for that. that. Thanks yeah. for that, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> So 2020 was a hard year for our business as well. Um, in, in April, we dropped about half the business from, from where we'd been on a really nice trajectory prior to that, you know, and it was hard times. We cut, cut, cut some costs, but uh, made the tough decision to, to keep the whole team on and, and focus and double down on improving our technology and improving our experience for job seekers and help the people who we knew were going to need our service. And every single month since from April through to November, we grew back. And by uh, the last quarter of the year, we were above where we started. So it turned out to be a good decision. A lot of hard work by the team. So real quick, Doug, when you say 50%, are we talking 50% decrease in job postings, customers, headcount? What are we talking about? 50% decrease in inventory, so jobs, and and in our revenue um, in, in pretty much overnight within a couple of weeks. Wow. So that was a shocker. I'm sure that was the same for many other businesses and some had it worse and some had it better. What we were, and we tracked the vacancy levels all the way through that and, and published a lot of PR and data around that. And they're back much closer to where they were even now, even with craziness in the last month or two, which is great to see. And, and our business has reflected that and done better than that. So we're up above where we were. That's required a lot of adaptation. We had to change a product, focus around remote jobs or the, or the categories that have done well, like mm-hmm. healthcare and logistics. We've also been able to use the fact that we're in many countries to, you know, to adapt. So some, you know, some countries have been hit harder than others. Right. And not always exactly the job market has been hit exactly as you might think think from looking at COVID cases. Say more about the global predicament. Are there countries that are significantly uh, down? Is the US a real a real screwed up case? Like what globally, talk more about that. So actually of all our markets, the UK was the hardest hit. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that was a combination of being a services economy and uh, also the way that governments reacted. So the British government uh, uh, introduced a very generous furlough scheme, which basically said, hey, everybody, don't work for nine months and we'll pay you. <laughs> so that, that doesn't really encourage hiring because everyone's frozen in place. Yeah. I think the US, we saw a much a, a big drop as well, but a faster recovery than we saw in the UK. Because amongst other reasons, I think uh, uh, stimulus package was kind of designed to keep business going rather than freeze it or, or to encourage people to go out and spend the money that the government's sending them. Oh, yeah. um, not not uh, much of that. There's debate about more of it coming or not, I think. Yeah. Uh, and then other markets were all over the place. I mean, Italy was hit very, very hard early on, which you'd expect. Germany held up much better because it had very few cases for a long time. Although the last few months, I think, have been a bit harder in Germany. Uh, France has been very up and down for us. Different market, and, and Australia is pretty solid, pretty good now. I mean, they've hardly got any cases of COVID at all, and we're in Australia and New Zealand as well, which feel like they've almost come out the other side of the pandemic now. So yeah, discipline. Um, so it's been a real mix, and, and every month we've had to shift our resources. We had you know team members shift between working on one market and another, and uh, and focus on sales teams and so on. And yeah. uh, and and we have quite a lot of multi-country business too. So. 
you know, someone in, in our US team might sell a campaign in Europe or vice versa. So that, that also helps. So now, have you always been a full remote team? So this wasn't a hard change for you or was it a hard pivot? It seems like from a business standpoint and being able to stay nimble, as you were just talking about switching resources from country to country or, or industry to industry, whatever it was, you were pretty nimble there. How how easy was that for you? And, and was it because you were already remote beforehand or why? Why was it why was it so easy so before the pandemic we were about 40 percent remote or at least out of our london office so we're sort of 60 percent london office uh, teams in the us and australia and then most of our tech team remote which who are literally work from home in in uh, a whole bunch of different countries the biggest mm-hmm. one greece but lots of others so we were already set up for it i mean my uh our, our third employee was a remote employee uh, uh on, on the tech side so we've done it for nine years as a business, uh, managed multi-country, multi-time zone, you know, remote work. It was still a big shock. And it's not everyone working remotely because they've decided that will be fun. It's everyone working <laughs> remotely because of the <laughs> pandemic and, and, you know, you might and you're locked in your house because you're not allowed to go out. And, and right. you know, I'm lucky I'm 20 years into my career and I have a yeah, house with a couple of bedrooms and a bit of space. But, you know, some of our team members in London live in really small you know, shared accommodation where they're working out of their own bedroom, you know. So it's been a really tough, uh, really tough few months for a lot of people. And I think one of the things we did really well, as well as being nimble as a business, was frankly just supporting our employees, you know, helping make sure they had everything they needed at home, putting in place wellness support and things like that. Um, And just being flexible about time off and support and all those kind of things. So I think a bit of bit of empathy and a bit of leadership goes a long way um, in, in those situations. It creates trust and loyalty long term, does it not? I mean, and are you seeing companies in Europe or in the UK really focusing around that treatment of their employees, or, or do you think you guys are are kind of like upper crust when it comes to it? I think we've done a good job. I, I, I don't want to blow my own trumpet on it. You know, it's like I think we're, I think we've done our best given a very difficult situation to support our teams. Mm-hmm. Loyalty is an interesting one too. I think it definitely inspires loyalty. Um, we've seen some funny effects as well, though, with the pandemic. For example, our, our tech folks who were remote already are getting more job offers from more places than they ever did before because oh, yeah. all these other companies have figured out how to do things remotely, and now suddenly our guys that have been doing it for five years and are, are really good are getting you know recruiters phoning them up and offering them jobs. Also realizing that you know Greece is a little bit less expensive than San Francisco as well. So that's a challenge that we have to deal with. Oh, yeah. You mentioned numbers going down. I'm curious about traffic because there's there's the other side of that, right, is more people are unemployed, you see more traffic. So I'm just curious about the sources of traffic. What did, did I assume your traffic went up, but to what degree? Um, what are some of the main sources of traffic that you guys get? I assume as a, a 10-year-old company, you know, organic traffic is obviously a big driver for you. But what are some of the things that you're using uh, to get to get eyeballs? Yeah, so we're re- really lucky as a business that we've been able to build a pretty diversified traffic base. So we have good SEO and organic traffic, and we'll talk about Google in a minute, I'm sure. We obviously focus a lot on emails and, and CRM and retention with users. We do a lot of PR, and, and that generates a certain amount of brand traffic and, and, and organic traffic. But we also buy through Google and Facebook and, and other platforms like that. Uh, and work with uh, affiliate partners as well, um, as others do in the industry. So We've always tried to be not too dependent on any one uh, traffic source as a business. And I think that's really important because 
you become a one-trick pony and something goes wrong with that. Google changes their algorithm or, or whatever, mm-hmm. and your whole business is kind of stopped. It also allows us, as programmatics come into the industry, and that's something we focused on, and, and to to really understand where the best traffic sources for different uh, companies and advertisers are. You know, making sure that that we can push a campaign harder on particular traffic sources that convert well for one client and or one industry, and then look at in different candidate pools for other ones. And and that's really important for you know, optimizing for those programmatic campaigns as well. And, and obviously beer, beer drop with Chad and cheese has been a windfall <laughs> of traffic. 78% of job seekers on Adzuna mentioned beer drop as their primary. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay, Doug. So you, you, you mentioned Google and obviously we wanted to talk to you about this because there's a, a very long list of, uh, of job sites in the EU who says that Google for Jobs is unfairly favoring its own service. Uh, Can you give us some background about this? This came out, I believe, in 2019. And it's, I mean, there have been more and more job sites gaining, I guess, the the list by the day. Uh, Give us some insights, if you would. Yeah, of course. So Google for Jobs has, you know, been around for for a, a few years. I think the original setup uh, included their ATS product, Google Hire, and and even a sort of embedded search product that they wanted to sell to job boards. And, and those have sort of fallen by the wayside, but Google for Jobs continues to be be a thing. Is the API gone? That's still around, right? I think it still exists. I don't know yeah. how many people use it. And, and Google for Jobs is... You know, a, a big box at the top of the page that directs you away from the thing that you were searching for to the to a bunch of jobs that are sort of hosted on Google's platform. And then you kind of look through those and then you click off and apply somewhere else. Sometimes there are seven buttons on a job, right, to try and choose right. where you want to apply. I'm not sure how you choose. So, so what does that actually do for the industry? It kind of diverts traffic away from organic search or from, from, or from Google AdWords searches and into this slightly different part of kind of organic traffic and, and keeps users on Google's platform for longer. Um, at the moment, they don't monetize it. And so I think it in in that sense, it has a relatively small impact on the industry. We can get into this, but I think my my concern is where do they go next with it beyond that? And, and that's a good question. But I mean, let's take let's take a look when this first came out in 2019. Google Hire was a thing. Mm-hmm. The Jobs API was something else that they were pushing. So back then, I, I you could see there was a, there was really a lot of effort put into and resources put into this specific arena. Now that those have fallen away, has this whole endeavor really lost some gas? Yeah, I don't think so. I, I mean, I so I'm not the leader of this effort at all. I, I was approached uh, by a, a couple of German websites um, that were putting this complaint together. Imagine that. that you yeah. Talk about putting a wall around your country when it comes to job search. Germany does a damn good job of that. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and Germany, Germany in general is a country with very strong views about privacy and competition. I think the media yeah. sites there have have been, you know, fighting Google for twenty years around Google News. So I wasn't surprised at all to to uh, to see that. But I don't think it is the Germans doing something strange here. I, th- I think the complaint is a very reasonable complaint. So the, the fundamental of the complaint that they, and that's why I signed it, the fundamentals of the complaint that they're bringing is self-preferencing, right? So it's Google uh, giving priority to Google's own services that compete with other people. 
So the Yelp situation uh, in the US, the uh, Google Shopping precedent in Europe, where Google was fined 5 billion euros, I believe, for basically preferencing Google Shopping listings over people like Helku and, other, and others that, that uh, brought that complaint. And, and those complaints were great, but they were too late. Those businesses had been destroyed by the time Google, you know, someone brought a legal complaint and Google got fined, right? Mm-hmm. Right, um, right. It destroyed that whole industry. Those companies are out of business. In fact, the only thing their shareholders have left is a lawsuit against Google. So I think what I, I think there's a, a fair complaint, which is self preference You know, you're a massive monopoly. Everyone uses Google for search, and and you know, you're now leveraging that monopoly into jobs and and, and other services, and you're just going to cut other people out of the the whole industry. That's classic monopoly behavior, uh, and I think. The the reason I signed it is I think bringing these complaints, whether it be in the EU or in the US, is what's going to moderate their behavior. Mm-hmm. I don't think Google's going to take away Google for jobs because someone brings a complaint and writes a letter. But I think if nobody brings a complaint and writes a letter, then they'll start monetizing it. Then they'll start right. adding higher. Then they'll take it, you know, try and use their monopoly to take the whole industry. It's commercial time. You already know that Sovereign makes the world's best resume CV parser. But... Did you know that Sovereign also makes the world's best AI matching engine? Only Sovereign's AI matching engine goes beyond the buzzwords. With Sovereign, you control how the engine thinks. With every match, the Sovereign engine tells you what matched and exactly how each matching document was scored. And if you don't agree with the way it scored the matches, you can simply move some sliders to tell it to score the matches your way. No other engine on earth gives you that combination of insight and control. With Sovereign, matching isn't some frustrating black box, trust us, it's magic, one-shot deal like all the others. No. With Sovereign, matching is completely understandable, completely controllable, and actually kind of fun. Sovereign. Software so human, you'll want to take it to dinner. Okay, listener, how can you help your employees become more productive? I have answers. How about automating manual and repetitive tasks, giving meaning to data, then allowing that data to actually drive decisions? And how about matching people to your jobs quicker? Well, wait, the Chad and Cheese has a new LLM? No, Cheeseman. I'm talking about text kernel. Ah, okay. That makes more sense. What I'm hearing is the groundbreaking concept of, wait for it, yeah, simplicity. <laughs> seriously, though, seriously. Text kernel cuts through the complexities like a tortilla chip through some hot nacho cheese. Oh, my God. Really? Nacho references already. Anyways, text uh. kernel brings efficiency and productivity to your operations. Text kernel seamlessly unifies your tools and data to drive efficiencies and success. TextKernel is creating new opportunities for your recruitment journey, kind of like adding guac to my barbacoa burrito. Oh my God. How about extracting meaningful insights from data? I mean, that, that's something. Swiftly matching yeah. people with jobs, automating repetitive tasks. Who knew such advanced concepts were even possible in the land of human resources? Uh, we did, Chad. We did. Dude, wrap it up. I'm a little hungry. Imagine that. Uh, Okay, listener, 
Get ready to use today's tech to drive efficiencies and productivity. Visit TextKernel.com. That's T-E-X-T-K-E-R-N-E-L.com. Nachos. (laughs) It's showtime. So, Doug... Playing devil's advocate for a second, because that's what we do on the show. So I could push back and, and maybe someone from the other side would say, look, you know, job seekers are what we should focus on here. And that's probably what Google is focusing on. And from their data, they've learned over the last 10, 20 years that, you know, vendors sort of behave badly when it comes to job search and you're clicking around at multiple job sites and job seekers are confused and basically the results that people get aren't very good. So trust in Google was dropping because of sort of the other side of what the vendors were doing with uh, cross-posting jobs and sort of playing this this whack-a-mole of where do I apply. And so so Google was almost forced by the vendor side to create a to create a search component that basically policed, okay, where are you applying from and who's posting jobs? And then let's let's let the job seeker decide, okay, do I want to apply at Adzuna? Do I want to apply through LinkedIn? Do I want to apply through the corporate website? And then the second part of my devil's advocate would be, isn't this largely uh, based on vendor fear? Because job seeker behavior is going to eventually go, go toward people understanding, well, if I go to a job board, I'm probably going to have to go to the company's ATS anyway, because that's where companies want me to go. So I'm eventually going to go to Google and find out, okay, uh, apply through the company website. And I'm just going to go to the company website and that dries up traffic from you guys. So it's a, it's a business saving effort to get Google out of the picture. Am I right on that or am I off base? We add in a, a trying to are trying to build a great experience for the job seeker to help them get into work, to help those companies that are struggling to find the right people. And we're trying to make a buck or two along the way, right? So both of those things, you know, both of those points apply to our business as well. I think on the consumer side, I don't buy it. I mean, I think it's a very disingenuous argument from Google to say, we're the consumer champion. We're doing this to make the consumer experience better. I, I mean, I've tried to use Google for jobs and it's not great. The search interface isn't great. I get the same ad from lots of different places. It takes me even more clicks to find and apply than it does on an aggregator like Adzuna or another one. I I still get redirected to eight different places. I still have bad quality content in there. And and frankly, if you search on Google for the word Adzuna, right, that's our brand. Mm -hmm. It didn't exist before I started my company. This big Google for jobs box that doesn't have Adzuna jobs in it comes up, right? So... I think the argument that everything Google is doing is is just to make the consumer experience better is pretty weak, and it doesn't make the. I mean, if they if they are, they've not done a very good job of it. Um, yeah. So yes, that is the PR line they put out. Yeah. I think this is a business <laughs> decision. Um, it's a business decision that Google, you know, is growing at less than five percent a year on search query volume. They've everyone in the world is already using Google. It's hard to acquire new people. So if you have right. to do, if you want to do what your shareholders are asking for, which is grow Google's business at 30, 40, 50% a year, you've got to get more money out of every query. And, and one of the ways you do that is you keep people on Google when they would otherwise link out somewhere and ultimately monetize that traffic while it's on Google more heavily. So, I, you know, I, that's the reason Google brought in Google for jobs and that's their motivation. 
going forward for developing the service in my opinion and on the yeah and on the second part was uh the the fear of training job seekers they could go to google to find the job directly on the corporate career site much easier yeah and all the context to that you know we've talked we're we're close with isims and have talked to colin day you know their founder quite a few times and they've been really open around the amount of traffic that job boards and sites are losing uh in light of google for jobs so uh, it does seem like lack of traffic is an issue with Google for jobs and vendors. So so for us, we haven't seen that. I mean, we're growing as a business and, and it's hard to know what you're benchmarking against, but yeah. we our, our life got a bit more complicated because we now have to do Google organic and Google for jobs rather than one. Yeah. So for the probably same amount of traffic, we have to do more work. <laughs> um, you know, but that's okay. We can handle that. But the, you know, we haven't seen it as a big drop off in traffic, nor, nor a massive gain in traffic. I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. it hasn't. It, it's been pretty neutral for our business. Candidates do want to apply to the job. They don't want to work with seven intermediaries to get there, right? It, that's not a good experience. Mm-hmm. You know, we're doing that with our own business. We started working a lot with job boards. And over time, we've worked increasingly with employers and ATSs to get much closer to the source of the content. And a lot of those now actually want Adzuna to host the apply, you know, not for us to click out to their career site. Users don't like that click out and being redirected. I think you mentioned this, Joel, on your previous uh, uh, talk about the Google for Jobs situation, but the employer websites are not always the best candidate experience websites, especially on mobile devices. They vary a lot, but uh, uh, even where they're good, there's still that slightly jarring click out. So I think the argument that you want to go to Google, go direct to the employer website, especially for employers that don't have big brand names, um, and Google doesn't offer that apply, so they still have that sort of jarring link. I, I'm not sure Google's making anything better. From a vendor point of view, sure, we would not be keen on a world where everyone went to Google and that's the only place they applied for a job and uh, they only went directly to the to the company website and there were no other vendors in the whole market. Sure, that wouldn't be good for our business. But I think you know we're helping employers to get in front of the right candidates and optimize their campaigns and ultimately hire the right people that they want in their organizations. And, and they need some help. They're not just, hey, I've put up a website and Google fill me with candidates. I think that would cause a lot of problems for any number of vendors to handle. Fair enough. I, I totally agree. The user experience for Google for Jobs is shit. It is horrible. Uh, but I do see the 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 choice, right? The buttons choice, which again, the whole user experience is just crazy. Now, before Google for Jobs though, indeed virtually owned the organic right so now doesn't google for jobs give the smaller job sites uh these these job sites that are actually listed doesn't it give them more of a fair shake instead of before when they were losing organic search to indeed because google was favoring them i think in the short term for some of them who are quite you know entrepreneurial they can do uh-huh. just just like seo google for jobs creates a little bit of a game as well you know it's like what can i do with my content to be the first guy that's listed for each of those jobs and uh, and, mm-hmm. and get the most indexed and so on. And for some players, that that will give a benefit, and for some, it will be a reduction. But I think I, I think where the 135 signatories of this letter, and not not all in jobs, uh, I, I agree and are a little bit more farsighted is is what are these guys going to do next? So when is Google going to start monetizing Google for jobs? I think it was on one of your predictions for last year or this year. 
And, and what does that look like and how does that impact your business? Yeah. Joel just keeps using that as a rolling prediction until it <laughs> happens. I appreciate the uh, now 135 uh, different organizations are actually applying pressure to Google so that they know they can't do what they've done in the past. But also on the other side, is this helping? Is Google actually pressing organizations like yours and like, you know, your, your peer organizations to do a better job on the user experience. They are saying that they're trying to create a better user experience. That's why Google uh, for jobs exists. Has that helped in our industry at all? Or have we just pretty much just stayed status quo and we still have for all intents and purposes, the same user experience? I don't see that Google for Jobs has had a positive impact on user experience overall. I think they're pretty strict about what their feed requirements are, but I, I don't see those as enforcing a better better practices in the, in the industry. I've probably seen more impact from working with the likes of AppCast to improve industry standards than I have from Google yeah. in, in terms of us as a partnership. So no, I don't think they're having a big impact. And, and I think there are... I've seen affiliate sites spring up that I didn't know existed that suddenly have a million jobs on Google for Jobs as well. So I think they're creating new, you know, opportunities for people to scrape content and push it into Google for Jobs that that aren't great for candidates. So yeah, talk about that, Doug, because I I think, and I'll come back on onto your side of things here uh, real quick as well because I'm balanced like that. So we're hearing a lot about <laughs> and not just jobs flooding, you know, into Google for Jobs, but also sort of fraudulent stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the things that existed on Google, you know, 20 years ago by gaming, you know, SEO and, and driving people to, you know, NASCAR sites with tons of banners and you got to give us your social security number and things like that. That seems to be infiltrating Google for jobs. Is that your perspective? Talk about not just the flood of new sites, but also the risk to consumers in, in going into fraudulent sites that are asking for a lot of a lot of information. What are you seeing there? Yeah, I mean that that is a risk and has always been a risk in the industry. There's everything from you know fraudulent lead generation businesses to to people that uh, I ran a business called Gumtree, the sort of Craigslist of Europe, uh, 15 years yeah. ago, and we had terrible problems with people putting up fake job ads and getting people to give them their bank details and, and stealing their money. And that's still around, you know, 15 years later. So it, there are challenges in our industry, and I think the responsible players, and I would include ourselves within that, work really hard to clean out that content and you know QA it and, and, and keep all of that bad stuff away in lots of different ways. I think when you're Google, you're operating a relatively open platform. They want to be seen to be taking jobs from, from everyone, mm-hmm. and all of those people are sending huge numbers of jobs, and yeah, it's very, very hard. And, and it, this isn't monetized at the moment. And it isn't even necessarily the only, you know, your main focus as a business. You've got enough other verticals to worry about as well, enough other geographies. It's pretty hard to make sure that you know exactly what's going on on the end of that next click and the click beyond that. Yeah. Um, so I think it's very hard for Google to police that. And and the relative risk reward for them isn't, it, you know, it's, it, I, I think it's very difficult. So that could be something that ends up actually hitting them like it did with Facebook and, and, and discrimination-related uh, complaints in, the, in this area. But it is an opportunity for you know anything from someone scraping the Adzuno website to get all of the job listings on there, then doing some text churning on them and then pushing them into Google for jobs. That's a, 
relatively yeah. easy and horrible thing to do. So let's go ahead and wrap all this up with Doug's, what do you call them? Bugaboos? What are they? <laughs> Bugger rugs, bugbears. What was it? Bugbears, bugbears, pet hate. Doug's. I love learning English as an American. Yes, yes. Doug's bugbears. So the first one we're going to talk about is you mentioned programmatic and, and, and we have seen a huge uptick in just the word programmatic. And most people don't even know what the hell it means. I mean, and there is probably a, a very broad definition to this word in the first place and these processes in the first place. What's your, what's your bugbear about this? <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I got to have it. I got to have it. Uh, it's great to be educating you, you guys on British English. Uh, you'll, you'll have to teach me some American English along the way. I've been, I've been living in Chicago for two years. <laughs> uh, so programmatic. Uh, for me, the recruitment industry talks about programmatic and we're not truly programmatic yet today. Truly programmatic in my mind is what happens in display advertising. You bid in real time on a user on, on that session, on that click, on that website. Right. And what we're calling programmatic today is changing your bids once an hour across a whole bunch of inventory that is then valid for 24 hours. And, and you know, we're, we're talking about optimization of campaigns and we're on a journey from pay and pray on Monster 20 years ago to something truly programmatic. And and I would say Adzuna and, and the, the many agencies we work with are making great progress on that journey. Um, but we're not truly programmatic. And if we want to say that we are, then we need to, you know, uh, start start taking that to the next level, exchanging data faster, truly thinking about how you do things in real time, which I think leads me to bugbear number two. Yes. Yeah, I, I would not have predicted this, this bugbear. XML feeds. You got it out for XML feeds. XML feeds need to die. XML feeds <laughs> are like the 1980s technology for exchanging information. We as a business and all of our partners and all of our customers are exchanging these enormous 50 gigabyte files of lines and lines of text information. 99% is the same as yesterday. Uh, yeah. And it's, you know, like it, Amazon are making a lot of money out of us all, or Google Cloud or, or <laughs> you know, all of those hosting providers. But uh, it's, it's not the way to get to truly programmatic technologies to give job seekers up-to-date information that's not expired to make sure that we deliver really effectively for campaigns. So um, we're trying to build APIs at ads, you know, but we need the rest of the industry to do it too. So I thought today was a great opportunity to... Uh, shout about that bugbear. So I, I, I think we should all be trying to exchange uh, data in real time, trying to offer APIs for, for jobs, trying to think about the new and the deletions, not just replacing this enormous bulk update every time and uh, trying to, you know, and, and that requires multiple people to work on on things together, not just me to say, hey, we're changing. And you have to get, you have to get either an intermediary or the applicant tracking systems to start using bi-directional APIs, right? And to be able to get some of these monolithic legacy platforms like ATSs to do something like that is nearly impossible. So what I'm hearing is there's actually an opportunity to be able to play that layer of a bi-directional API for somebody uh, who wants to do a shit ton of work. Uh, I think that's right. And there are some folks doing some work around that, like Alex Murphy, uh, his yep. business is doing some stuff in that area. I think that yep. 
there are ATSs that are modern and forward thinking and ready to do this. We, we're we integrating with some of them with APIs, so it can be done. Do you want to name names? Uh, I don't have the list of names right in front of me, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I, I do think the industry is getting there, and I, I, I think there is a perception I've seen at conferences and when talking to other CEOs that, that this needs to change. And, and as an appetite. So it's it's just taking a few steps towards that. The Brits are so polite, aren't they? Jesus Christ. Doug Monroe, everybody. Doug, thanks for coming on the show, man. We appreciate it. For for those of our listeners, because they don't hear enough about Adzuna on the show, uh, where where would you send them to learn more? Uh, so visit adzuna.com and uh, you'll, uh, you'll be able to click on a link for employers or hires if you want to uh, find out a bit more. Um, or speak to the lovely Mark Anderson, our, our head of U.S. Nobody's ever said that before. Lovely Mark Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> Chad, another one in the books. We out. We out. Thanks, guys. I'm Rory from Scotland, the country which brought you electricity. Thank you for listening to podcast with Chad and Cheese. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting. They talk about technology. But most of all, they talk about nothing. Nada niente. Um, anywho, be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Player, or wherever you listen to your podcast. We out. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.